We started last week talking about starting over and what it meant like. What are what were three myths that we discovered from the story of Moses and how, how they can keep us stuck when we're not willing to evaluate what God really wants to do in our lives. We don't take time to slow down for that reason. We all have regrets. Some of them big, right? Some of them are small. Some of them are just little regrets. Things that we could even maybe laugh at at some point in our life. Like, I remember the time that uh, my kids were about six or seven years old, and they wanted a pool. And uh, I didn't want a pool. I was like, this is why we have neighbors with pools, so I don't have to take care of a pool. I don't want a pool. I was like, the only way you're getting a pool, this is the cheap dad speaking, right? The only way you're getting a pool is if it drops a free one in our lap. And so guess what they did? They went and started praying for a free pool. And someone called us within like two or three months. Someone called us and said, hey, I'm at someone's house. They said they want to get rid of this pool. It won't fit my thing. I thought of you guys. You want this pool. And when you know your kids are praying for a pool, it feels like you're a big fat liar. If you're like, no, I never heard that phone call, never answered. So we said yes. And man, like 100 hours of labor later of taking down a deck and a pool and re-putting it back up, my back regretted, like, say, like even challenging them to that whole thing, you know? And so I remember traveling to Seattle with my kids when they were four, and we got stuck on a Texas tarmac with our two four-year-old kids, right? And we're like in the plane, and it's hot, and there's this thunderstorm. And you know when there's thunderstorms, they're like, hey, we're going to go. No, I'm just kidding. And we did this for five hours with my two four-year-olds, a parrot, and two crying infants also on the plane. It was awesome, right? The moments you're like, maybe it wasn't a great idea to come to Seattle this early, you know, to see our relatives. But you have all those kind of regrets. And some of them you can giggle at, you can laugh at. But of course, we also have regrets that maybe it's too soon or maybe it's too big. We go, I can't, can't laugh at that one. That one's just a little too hard. You know, there's, this, there's this website called secretregrets.com. And when you go read it, what people do is like things they wouldn't basically say aloud, but they regret they log it on this website, and you can see all of these regrets, and they're just, they're heart-wrenching. Here's just a few of them. Like, one of them, someone says, I, I regret turning a blind eye to my boyfriend's addiction. I knew he was addicted to several hard drugs, but I never did anything about it. Another one, my biggest regret, one that plagues me in my waking moments and my, some of my sleeping moments, is that I was given the opportunity to go to USC for screenwriting, and I didn't take that chance. You go in, you keep reading these things, and it's just heart-wrenching gut-wrenching things one after another, and you realize how big of a deal regret is. And I think too often you, people enter into regret, and they, they feel like that's, it's over. Like I, once I have that thing happen to me, I can't move on. I could never go on. I can't. I regret it, and it, it sidelines them. It benches them. It's, it's like that moment, if you've ever seen a relay race, my one of my sons ran track, so I watch relay races. I mean, you watch track a lot when your kids are in track, and you watch this relay races. And if you've ever seen that moment when the baton is about to be handed off, and there's these moments where sometimes that goes, I mean, it's just slick, right? It's just perfect with the handoff. And there are other times where that handoff goes to happen, and it's just, it's bumble. You know, it's botched. And you can tell when that person, like, turns around trying to either pick the baton up or do it. That runner has a choice in that moment, how he's going to respond. And more often than not, what I'd see is them pick up the baton and they'd run the race, but they felt like it was already over. You know, it's just like, I'll jog the rest of the race. No way I'm catching that guy. I'm at my finish line. Like, this was the finish line because we didn't make the handoff. 
And sometimes regret feels the same way. Now, when we think about regret and know that it can get us stuck, it's important for us to understand what those regrets are. Because if we don't actually identify them, if we don't name them, then we will continually be in this moment with this botched handoff just kind of running through as opposed to seeing them differently. And I believe this morning what God wants to do in your life is to help you see regret differently, to help you see it as something different than just a finish line. So to get started, I want to just talk about three different categories of regrets. And while I'm talking about them, I want you to think about where maybe some of those regrets, those big ones that maybe get you stuck, fall for you. So I think there's generally three categories of regrets. The first one being things I've done, and then things I've left undone, and then things done to me. So things I've done, well, that, these are easy. These are things that we know because we just, ah, I wish I had never done that. Things like lies that we've told or relationships that we torpedoed, dumb choices that we've made or rage that we've unleashed or money that we've blown, like, ah, or addictions that we've fed. All things that we go, ah, just wish I could change that. I just, it's always there. And maybe it drives us forward and maybe it keeps us stuck, but it affects our lives deeply. Second category, things I've left undone. Now, these are things like opportunities that came away and we just missed them. Or time that we could have had with a person or a relationship or our family and we just wasted. Risks that we just didn't take. We were like, ah, I just, I couldn't take that risk. Or love that we, we, we didn't express. We could have, but we didn't. Words that we wish we would have spoken to someone. Or forgiveness that we withheld for far too long. Things I've left undone. Psychologists say that in the short run, we tend to really identify the regrets that we've done. But in the long run, when we look back over our lives long term, these are the ones that tend to crop up. We look back over our shoulder and we say, I wish I would have done whatever it was. And we regret the things left undone. But when we talk about regrets, there's one more category that we tend to leave out when it comes to regrets that's really important. Maybe one of the ones that cause us the most pains, and that's things done to me. Things that were done to you that you still regret. Accidents. Maybe an accident that you were in, or an illness that you got. Abuse that maybe you take, or maybe a time when you felt neglected, or rejected, or betrayed. And you may not have had a role in making it happen, but you were the person who it happened to. And you still have a regret. It still sits with you. And sometimes those hurt the most. And the worst part of any of these regrets is that they can tend to keep us stuck. And even if we try to move forward, even if we will ourselves forward, they affect our behaviors because we do things like we make vows, right? Like, I, I'll never do that again. That never on my watch, never in my family. And then we realize that the bad behaviors coming out of that vow are just as bad as the regrets. And we have more regrets and we feel stuck in a cycle of regrets. Psychologists have a term for that cycle, for that getting stuckness, and it's called, it's called rumination. It's when that regret plays over and over in our head, and maybe it's, that's the reason that we're stuck, or maybe it plays over and over our head when we try to move forward and we go, okay, i got to be careful for this not to happen. I'm going to try to make this not happen. And it's, rumination is like, the picture of it is like a cow chewing on its cud, just over and over that thing is in our head. We can't seem to leave it behind. In fact, regret... It's something that one psychiatrist, Melanie Greenberg, says that it has the potential 
when we move into rumination, when we move into self-blame, and to try to fix our regret, try to deal with it that way, has the potential to keep us from ever fully engaging in life, ever really knowing. Now, here's the good news, and this is what we're talking about this whole series. God wants you to fully engage in life. He doesn't want you to live your life halfway. He doesn't want you to be stuck in regret. He doesn't want regret to be a finish line for you. You're like, ah, the handoff's botched. I'll never get there. That is not God's, and it's not God's desire for you. His desire is that you might start over. So over the next few weeks, we started last week, and over the next few weeks, even today, we're going to talk about some scripture stories, some examples in scripture, because regret is common throughout the stories of people in scripture. We're going to look at some that help us understand today about how do we identify regret and see it the way God sees it, instead of seeing it the way we see it and feeling stuck in it. So we get to re-see, re-look at our regret. The next week, we're going to talk about how to own our regrets, how to own up to them and and know how God can release us from them. And then the last week, we're going to talk about, in being released from regret, how does God redeem regret? How do we allow God to enter in, and how do we join him in seeing that redeemed? And my hope and my prayer is that as you walk through the series together, that you'll see that God has a greater good for your life, that no matter what regret you have, God can make it better. God can make good of it. God can redeem it. God can change it. God can give you purpose again, and that's what we're going to enter into and talk to this morning. So this morning, if you want to open up a little thing that looks like the scoop, there's an outline in there, and you can follow along this morning. We're going to talk about Peter's story. Now, Peter, if you remember, one of probably more well-known disciples of Jesus, a great friend of Jesus, someone who impacted the faith, like not like a, not a lot of other men, really well-known, but Peter had a problem. Peter was impetuous. Peter was the first to jump in, you know, you know, that moment when you don't have a filter on your mouth and something comes out and you're like, yeah, like this is Peter. And it's with his actions and with his words, like no filter, he just jumps right in. And so Peter ended up having a lot of regrets. He had to deal with regrets quite often. And there's this one scene that I want to talk about this morning. It's, it's found, we want to look at it both in Luke 22 and then in John 21, where it talks about probably Peter's one regret that shaped his life, that had the potential to sidetrack him and keep him stuck forever or to be changed by that and how that got changed. So let me, let's set up the scene first before we read Luke 22. Luke 22 let's set up the scene. So the scene is at the end of Jesus' life and um, Jesus has just been taken by the guards and uh, it's right before his crucifixion. And so he has been handed over. He's outside the high priest's house. He's about to be tortured. There are bystanders all around. Some of the disciples are gathered there. And Jesus has been dragged before everybody. And in those moments where they're mocking him, beating him, there's Peter in the crowd, just trying to blend in. And there's some fires all around, and the tension's building because everybody knows that violence is about to follow. It's inevitable. Now, just a few hours before this, recognize that Jesus and Peter were having this conversation, and Jesus was saying, you know, here's where you guys are going to have to go. Here's what's going to happen. And Peter's declaring his loyalty, and he's like, like, to death, Jesus, I will go to death for you. I'll do anything for you. Don't you worry. I am loyal to the end. And as he boasts of his bravery, now he finds himself around a charcoal fire, smoke just filling his nostrils, and he's nervous. He's afraid. And suddenly... 
a little girl says to him, hey, weren't you one of his disciples? Weren't you one of the guys that was with Jesus? Peter says, no, 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 no. I don't even know him. I don't know him. I, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Stands around the charcoal fire a little longer. Someone else says, weren't you with him? You were one of us. No, no, not me. Uh-uh. And the third person chimes in. You were with him. I know you were. No, not me. I don't know what you're talking about. And just then, a rooster crows. The thing is that Jesus told him, careful, this is what's going to happen. You're going to deny me three times. The rooster's going to crow. And all of a sudden, it all catches up with Peter. And that's where we find him in this moment in Luke 22, verses 61 and 62. It says, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the crow tomorrow morning, the rooster crows tomorrow morning, before that ever happens, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter recognizes this moment, and one of the Gospels says that Jesus looked at him in this moment, and Peter looked at Jesus, and he felt the sense of betrayal. He realized what he had done, and he was broken. And he left the courtyard, weeping bitterly. His biggest regret ever. So around that charcoal fire, he just, his eyes are filled with tears and his heart's broken. And he runs out. And, of course, next what happens, Jesus is condemned. Jesus is hung on a cross and is crucified. A terrible death. Upon that cross, all the sin of the world is laid on him. He, is, he dies and he is resurrected. Now, can you imagine the sorrow in that time as Peter never even gets to say to his friend and his Lord and the person he loves who has rescued him, who he is committed to, and he betrays him, and he never gets to say, I'm sorry, because he's gone. Words unspoken, a chance never to rectify that situation. And even when Jesus is resurrected and the, the gals come back from the grave and they're like, fellas, he is alive. We saw him. Even then, Peter's like, no. I, I can't even believe it. I can't. I, I still carry this weight of failure in my life. And you can tell by the way he interacts. He's still carrying this weight of failure. Because what he's saying himself, to himself is what we say to ourselves in our moments of failure and regret. Is this the finish line? It's the question we ask. Is this the finish line? Many of us have felt that same way, haven't we, at some point in our lives? We feel like, am I disqualified? Can I really move on? You know, we, we, we imagine what that felt like for Peter, and we go, I felt that way too. Now, maybe your regret's not quite that drastic, but my guess is you felt the sting of regret before. What it feels like to carry that just burning inside of you and going, I can't, I can't just even carry it. Now, imagine if Peter would have gotten stuck in that regret. If he had never moved on, if you read the book of Acts and see the amazing leadership and the amazing miracles that came through Peter's life and the sermons and the 5,000 and 10,000 that, that came to Christ because of Peter's life, 
imagine if he would have got stuck and stayed there. But see, here's the thing. After Jesus' resurrection, Jesus decides to intervene. Jesus says, I will not leave you stuck in your regret. I am going to intervene. And he, he answers Peter's question of, is this the finish line? He answers Peter's question of, am I a failure? Am I disqualified? Can I move on? Jesus' response to Peter, and this is so important because it's the same response to us, is that, listen, while you, we think that regret is our finish line, Jesus sees it as a place to start over. Jesus sees your finish, what you see as a finish line, like, ah, maybe I'll run the race, but it's, it's, it's never going to be the same now. Jesus says, no, this is a place of transformation. This is a place to start over. This is when everything can change in these moments. In this place of brokenness, in this place of regret, it's one of the greatest opportunities for transformation in your heart that can possibly happen. So, let's, let's wind the tape forward. We see the scene in Luke 22. Let's wind the tape forward and in John 21, where Jesus and Peter meet up again. So here's the scene. It's, they're out. The disciples are out on the lake, and they're fishing. And uh, they're, they're coming closer to shore, but as they do, John, who's called like one of Jesus' best friends, the beloved disciple, John's looking out at the beach, and he sees Jesus sitting around a charcoal fire, cooking breakfast. And he sees him, and he looks, and he squints, and then he declares, it's Jesus. He's alive. He's on the beach. And Peter is, their boat's coming into shore, but he can't contain himself. He can't wait. And so he jumps overboard and he swims to the shore, comes out soaking wet to find Jesus on the beach. And as he approaches Jesus, the smell of the charcoal fire smacks him right in the nose. Like, like, you know how when you smell hot chocolate, and maybe it reminds you of a snowy day when you were a kid, your mom would make hot chocolate. Or maybe, like for me, I smell gas and oil in summer, people were like, ooh, gas and oil, but it reminds me of working on cars with my dad. This has a way of when you smell, when you conjure up one of your senses, it conjures up not just the smell, but the emotion and the scene in your life. And for Peter, in this moment where he, that, that smoke from the charcoal fire fills his nostrils, I imagine Jesus watching him as the emotion, betrayal, and regret fills his heart. As he realizes he's sitting there and the last time he was at a charcoal fire, and Jesus looked at him, he was betraying him. Now there's only two mentions of charcoal fires in all of Scripture. And Peter's at both of them. John 21, this is what Jesus says to Peter because he sees, I think Jesus sees this moment. He says, I see what's happening here and I want to talk to you. So here's what he says. He says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter replies, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Peter replied, I, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told. Now, if you were to read John 21, I encourage you to do this. This conversation is one of those moments where Jesus pauses 
probably waits a little while, and then he says the same thing. And we ask ourselves, why did John record all three times of Jesus saying to Peter again, do you love me? And Peter's saying, yes, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. And then again, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Why three times? Do you remember the denial? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. And Jesus said to him, Jesus was saying to him, for every one of those I want you to know that there's a new day. That I don't see it the way you see it, Peter. That I'm giving you a new day. Not once, not twice, but three times. How many days was Jesus in the grave? Three days. Because Peter would have known as a Jewish man that three was an important number. It was a number of wholeness and of healing. Three had significance because it meant, no, there's, I'm inviting you into something new. And when Jesus said this to him three times, it was Jesus' invitation towards healing, towards wholeness, towards completeness. It was a time to start over. Now, last week when we talked about the three myths, one of those myths was just about evaluation, about evaluating our regrets in God's presence. Sometimes we resist evaluating and we think, oh no, I experienced it, so I'm going to be wiser, but that's not really true. That we have to actually evaluate it in God's presence and say, God, what do you want to say to me about this? We have to be unafraid to identify it and to be real about it. And that's what was going on in this moment. Jesus was slowing Peter down. Saying, what is that regret? Stop being afraid of it, Peter. You can't run from it. You can't ignore it. You've got to meet it in my presence and let me help you see it differently. Today I want to give you that same chance to let, let yourself see your regret differently. Now, I'm not going to pretend that that's easy. We all have regrets. Like, for example, when I think of regrets I have from my 20s, I've got a lot of regrets from my, my early days with Jesus. I, had, I, I still have problems sometimes with the filter that doesn't work on my mouth, but I... I would say harsh things to people. You know, I'd apologize a lot to my family. I'd apologize a lot to my coworkers. I would, things would come out of my mouth, and the way I said them, the tone I had, and the anger I had, like, there's a lot of apologies that were due. I hurt a lot of people, and it, in a season when I really wanted to be like Jesus, I really wanted my life to make a difference. I was not making the difference I wanted to make, right? I was, had a wake of, apologies in my past that I was just like, I can't keep living this way. And I would stack those regrets upon regrets upon regrets. And I didn't want to be stuck. I wanted to be better. And so I would let all that stack of regret and hurt instead of bringing it before Jesus because I was like, I don't want to bring this before you. I don't, I'm, I'm already so disappointed in myself. I can't even imagine, Jesus, how disappointed you are in this moment. And so instead, I tried to let them drive my behaviors forward, and then I would fail again, and then I would feel more regret, and I'd be stuck in that cycle. I was stuck. I think most of us can identify with those moments, right? Resisting bringing that regret into Jesus' presence. We're like, I don't want to talk about it. I just want to ignore it. I want to pretend it's not there. I'm disappointed in it. I know God's disappointed in it, and I don't want to, I, I don't want to face that. And we feel shame, and we feel regret, and our, maybe our head theology says God loves me, but the truth is in our heart we have doubt. 
That in that regret that God could still love us, that he could redeem us. And I imagine Peter felt the same way. And that's why this scene that John writes in John 21 is so essential and so important to you. Because you need to hear the reason John wrote it is to show you that Jesus sees your regret differently than you do. That all of your fears about bringing it into his presence are not legitimate. They're not things that you need to be afraid of. Because Jesus sees your regret as a starting line, not as a finish line. It's not over for him. The race isn't over. It's just started. I want, I want, to, I want to show you how Jesus approaches Peter. And this is really important. I want you to understand what Jesus is saying to Peter because it's what he says to you. When Jesus replies to Peter and he says, do you, know, do you love me, Peter? Do you know what's implied there? It's Jesus confirming their relationship because what's implied there is, Peter, do you love me? Because you know I love you. You know I love you. You know that we have a relationship. There is a priceless reassurance that Jesus is doing, saying, you can still grow. You're not benched. You're not sidelined. You're not disqualified. You're in relationship with me. And that changes everything. And you don't have to be afraid when you're in relationship with me to come to me. I think in some moments we ask this question for ourselves and the same one that maybe Peter was asking. What have I done, God, that is good enough to make up for that? For that last time, what have I done that is good enough to bring me into this moment? For me to have a new day. And you know what Jesus' answer is in this moment to Peter? The same thing that he's answering you. You were born. That's what you did. You were born. You are my creation. And I have loved you from the first moment that I created you. And I will always love you. That's all that's needed. There's not more needed. There's not more things you need to do. All you got to do is enter in. We all know that we're loved by God, but sometimes we need the courage to face our regrets, even through doubt. You notice that Jesus didn't chastise Peter. He didn't say, Peter, you shouldn't have. Jesus didn't rehash it all. Jesus didn't blow it off either. He knew what was happening at that fire. He knew what was going on in Peter's heart. Instead, he infirms his love for Peter. He doesn't give him the cold shoulder. He leans in and says, I want to confirm, Peter, we have a relationship. You are part of the team. You are part of the family. And this thing that you did doesn't change that. Same way in your life, Jesus wants you to know you're not stuck. You're not benched. You're not sidelined. Whatever that regret is, Jesus is saying, I want to affirm in you I love you. Now, there's, there's something else that Jesus does in the statement, right? Because he says, Peter, do you love me? And then he says what to Peter? Feed my sheep. All right? Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. He says, I don't want you to be stuck, but I want you to understand something really important. I want to confirm your purpose. That's what Jesus is doing. He's confirming Peter's purpose. He's saying, you're not on the sideline. You still have purpose. I am still giving you a job, Peter. And if you, if you look back earlier, you, you don't know this, but Jesus would call himself the good shepherd. The shepherd that could be trusted. The shepherd that manages sheep, that would go looking for the lost sheep and, and come bring him back to the herd. This is, this is what Jesus said a shepherd was like. And so when Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep, Peter got it. 
Peter, Peter heard what Jesus was saying, which was, I have a purpose for you to be a shepherd. I have a purpose for you to invest into people's lives, to be a part of changing someone's life. I want you to lead and care for my followers. And maybe this is the most spectacular scene in Scripture ever. Because in it, we find this interchange where Jesus says to Peter, the same thing that he says to us. When you have a regret, when you do something wrong, it is not a finish line. It is a starting line, a place to start over. Because in this moment, I want you to know there is still a purpose in your life. I can still do a greater good in your life. There is no reason for you to go, I can't move on, but rather, I can move on. I can do something different. Regret. It's a place to start over. But only a place to start over when we are able to see regret the way God sees it. Not as a finish line but as a starting point, as a place to start over. So this morning, let me ask you, are you stuck in regret for things that you've done? Because if you are, I believe that God would want to say to you, I love you. I believe that Jesus is saying to you this morning that no matter what, nothing can ever change the way I feel about you because you're mine. And I want you to be in my family. You feel regrets for things you've left undone. And you need to hear Jesus saying this morning, it's not over. I'm not done with you. I have purpose for your life. There is a new day. If you have regrets for things that were done to you, you need to hear Jesus this morning saying, you are not damaged goods. It is not over. I love you. You're special to me. And I'm going to do something amazing in your future. You see, because what Jesus did for Peter, he wants to do for you. He wants to change that moment for you in your life. He wants to confirm your relationship, and he wants to assure you purpose as a place to start over. Jesus sees your recognition of your regret. You're bringing regret into him, not as a starting line, not as a finish line, but as a starting line. So in two weeks, we're going to talk about owning regret and getting released from regret. And then we're going to talk about how God can redeem regret. But this morning, it all starts with us naming regret. With us being willing to name those regrets and say, God, here they are. And I want to hear your voice this morning, God. I want to hear you say that you love me, that there is a place to start over. It's, it's a place for you to re-look at your regret and see it anew, the way God sees it, as a place to start over. So here's what I want to offer you this morning. It's a moment to reflect and then to pray. In a few moments, we're going to have some prayer partners that are just going to come up here in this front row, and you're going to be able to come forward and be prayed for. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that. And you're going to have a response card, and of course you always have that opportunity on your response card to write a regret. We'll pray for you there. I want to take just a moment or two right now before we enter into that, I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes just for a second because I want to give you a little bit of space to let God speak to you about the regrets that this morning you've been afraid to name, but he, he wants to let you know that it's okay to bring them before him. That it's the place of redemption when we say it aloud to him and know that he still loves us, that he still has purpose for us. So let me ask you this, big or small, what's your regret? 
What are the regrets that you face? Are they relational? Maybe you wish you were loved better or wish you had loved better. And you have a relational regret. You just need to name it this morning. Maybe it's health-related. Maybe you wish you'd taken better care of yourself. Or maybe this morning you just have this question of why. Why is this happening to me? And you need to see that health regret. It's a place of transformation, a place where God can meet you. Maybe it's a financial regret, something that you, you did or you didn't do, something that you could have avoided in your current situation. And you're just like, God, I, I wish you would have done this better. Maybe it's a purpose regret where you just wish, felt like, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know where I'm headed. Maybe your path led you away from God and now it's time to come back. Maybe a spiritual regret. Maybe you feel like, I, I wish I could have, God, I wish I'd think about you more often. I wish I was invested in intimacy with you. You just need to name it this morning. I want you to sit for a moment. What is that regret? Lord Jesus, will you come and visit us this morning? Will you help us to feel and sense and know the emotion that comes with regret? But more than that, will you help us to know and feel the emotion that comes with our Savior and Lord? who says to us, I love you. I've always loved you. I will always love you. I have a purpose for you. You're not disqualified. You're not benched. Have a new day. This is not a finish line. This is a start place to start over. A new day. A place where no matter what we've done, we can bring it into your presence. and You clean it and you change it and you transform it. And you start us on a new path. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. This morning, during this next worship song, here's my invitation to you. You could just write down your response card this morning, but I'm going to tell you something. There is power in naming something aloud. There is power in getting it out and letting someone else pray over you and be led by the Spirit to speak words of love and purpose into your life, to pray that over you this morning. And that's what we'll pray. That you'll know God's love and that you'll know his purposes in your life. So this morning, if you have a sense, like I got a regret and it's good for me to receive prayer this morning, we welcome you to come forward right to the front row and we will pray for you this morning. You can share as much or little. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing magical about this. There's just something spiritual about it and something powerful and something sacred. And we invite you to be part of it this morning. You can do it at any time during the next two worship songs. We invite you to come forward.